Before we get going, I'd like to say thank you to the people and companies that support this show. The first is Bull Bitcoin. If you're buying Bitcoin in Canada, you should be doing it at Bull Bitcoin. It's a non-custodial exchange with a focus on privacy. When you make the order, you input your own self-custody receive address, which means as soon as the order is completed, it goes right to you. You don't assume any of the exchange risk. The guys at Bull Bitcoin are also behind BitcoinSupport.com. This is for those of you who need some help getting your self-custody arrangement set up properly in a manner that's both secure, but also easy to manage and engage with. They have a number of different packages available based on your needs. So check them out at BitcoinSupport.com and find the one that's right for you. Also, CoinKite, the makers of the famous cold card hardware wallet. The latest edition, the MK4, recently dropped. It has a USB-C connector, NFC tap functionality, dual secure elements, and lots of other great features that many of us have come to expect and love from ColdCard and CoinKite that help you to optimize your Bitcoin security setup. Visit coldcard.com to learn more about the MK4 and visit coinkite.com to learn more about all their other awesome products for helping you to secure and have fun with your Bitcoin. And lastly, I've been slacking a little bit on the value for value podcasting 2.0 stuff. Um, and for those of you who aren't familiar with what that is, there are certain podcasting apps that are available now as a result of uh, the functionality brought to Bitcoin by the Lightning Network that allows you to either stream sats as you listen to podcasts or tip or what's called boost. Um, you know, when you when you hear something that you really like, you can send a, a tip of 100 sats or 1,000 sats or whatever you want, really, to uh, the creator. And it goes directly to the podcast content creator. And I can certainly appreciate that uh, People may not want to let go of their sats uh, unless they absolutely have to. And of course, when they're receiving free content, they don't have to. But it has been very interesting to me to see that, you know, a non-insignificant number of people are actually willing to send and tip sats uh, for this content. One, obviously, because, you know, I think they value it. But two, I think many of us realize that this could very well represent a better model for supporting content creators in the future as we you know we exist in an era and potentially heading into uh, an era of even greater censorship that removing all potential censors from the creator and the audience will be vitally important and podcasting 2.0 is a means of doing that or at least getting the ball rolling and experimenting and see what might evolve from doing so so if you'd like to try that out, a really great, easy to use wallet can be downloaded at fountain.fm. And to sweeten the deal a little bit and to get people playing around with this uh, new method of, of consuming content, Fountain has agreed to give 50,000 Satoshis on four different occasions to a listener who sends a boostergram to a given show. So basically I'll be able to see all the boosts that come through and I'll pick one that I think is interesting or otherwise deserving of 50,000 sats and we'll send them to their uh, Fountain user account. Also for now, that's gonna be the primary domain where I interact with users. So if you have a suggestion for the show or if you have a question that you would like me to explore or a topic you'd like me to explore on the show, send that message as a boost and uh, you never know, it could make its way into the show. So check it out, any questions, comments, suggestions, uh, let me know, I'd love to hear them. And that's it, enjoy the show. Let's do it. All right, we're live, Aaron. All right. 
I'm stoked. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm intrigued. This, like this like I was like, just telling you. Yeah, this is a very um, surreal situation for me right now. So usually I'm ha like talking about death and Bitcoin. Those are usually just conversations I'm having inside of my head. <laughs> so to actually um, talk to someone that that wants to talk about both of those things is and to talk to you is awesome as well. Well, so. well one, I, I can appreciate the therapeutic effect of getting some of these thoughts out you know, into the ether through a, you know, totally. someone in conversation, but two, you know, I mean, of course you, you hit me up when I asked if, if people wanted to jump on a, a plebcast and you said that you wanted to explore the angle of death and Bitcoin. And, um, you know, I almost want to say it's not something I considered before, but in some of these podcasts that we do, when we, when we speak about or explore the, the kind of notion of Bitcoin money, generally being a carrier for your will, Right. And, and carrier for mm -hmm. your values and the fact that like an eternal money, as it were, or a, a money that's can persist, can long outlive you, let's say, to what extent does it carry the values and principles that you imbue in it through your action in a market? And so, you know, does Bitcoin kind of immortalize the, the kind of distilled <laughs> values and principles of your action in a market to some degree? And now maybe it's kind of like you know, when a pebble drops in a water in water, right? Like the first ripple is the biggest and then it's smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And maybe that's the way in which when we act within a market, when we spend our money and the values and principles imbued in that action, maybe they, you know, the, the biggest impact is the first people that affects and then it kind of gets diluted over time. But it does, it does cause you to conjure up this idea of outliving or the values and principles by which you live outliving your physical body, for example. And so- mm -hmm. When you hit me up and said you wanted to talk about the Bitcoin, I was like, yeah, fuck it. Let's yeah. do it. So. Yeah. I was, uh, I was having that exact thought over the weekend. Um, so I'm a death doula. So that is just like to explain that. Yeah. So just like you would think about a birth doula. Um, Can you explain like that too, though? Because I think. Yeah. So. So a birth doula and a death doula, we're, we're the same thing. We're just on opposite ends of the spectrum of a, of a lifetime, right? So a birth doula works with an expectant mother to create a birth plan. Um, they're often there with the mother during the birthing process, and then they do after birth support as well. So like I said, um, I Is always like a say midwife? like, yeah, yeah, essentially. Yep. So I always say like birth doulas help people in and death doulas help people out. So we work with people to create end of life plans, um, like your ideal death, if you want to put it in those terms. Um, we companion people through the actual end of life transition. And then we do grief support work with family and friends and loved ones afterwards. So where I was going with that is part of the planning process. Like I think part of the existential uh, crisis that a lot of people feel when they think about death, like the reason why there's so much fear is people, you know, am I going to be remembered when I'm gone, right? People want to leave some kind of legacy behind. And over the weekend, I was thinking about Bitcoin and it's like, I feel like the Bitcoin ledger is like proof of I was here, right? It's like that timestamp. I was here and these were my values. And it's like, it's almost like a time capsule of human consciousness, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, 
yeah, there's a lot of bad shit going on in the world right now, but there's also this community of people that are coming together and, and doing work like what I'm doing and people that are creating like decentralized healthcare plans and decentralized homeschooling and food networks. And it's like the death process is, is also something that's been, um, centralized, right? It's, I just finished reading the fiat standard and it's like, you know, Saifedean could put a chapter in there about fiat death. Like we have mm. fiat death in this society as well. It's been completely taken out of just the acknowledgement as a natural part of the process of life. And it's been co-opted and medicalized and privatized and, and all of that stuff. Um, I was just, I was with the cafe Bitcoin crew on Twitter spaces this morning and one of the guys was talking about like both his parents died in 2019 and he's still going through all the paperwork and all the bureaucracy. And it's like, you know, we can't, we can't even be free after we're dead for God's sake. Right. So, yeah. so I really feel, you know, I, I obviously work with people on a really practical level, like, okay, you've done your will. And then there's this whole other realm of, of things that we need to consider. Like there's the emotional, spiritual, physical, mental, energetic aspects of being human. It's not just the, the financial part that you take care of at the lawyer's office. Right. Mm. Um, so I don't know. I forget where I was going with that. Well, let me, <laughs> let me, let me jump in. Cause I have yeah, yeah, a, mil please. a million questions, but first okay, of all, cool. I mean, I, I, I really love this because I think it's um, it's fairly uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's kind of incontrovertible that you know a healthy relationship to your life is or to your death rather is one of the things that helps to foster an optimized life. And if that's what exactly. we're all after, which I think is you know is what we're all after, then it, it we shouldn't just sweep it under the rug and just kind of ignore the. I mean, it's inevitable, right? And, and the fact mm -hmm. that we ignore it so much, and then when it befalls us especially if it befalls us in kind of a slow uh manner it, it it just it seems it seems very fiat to your point like it seems like totally all, every all of our <laughs> thinking about it is so fucked up and we could be doing so much better and actually you know one of the things that uh and i've like i remember i was in uh i was in nepal in, in Kathmandu, hiking in the himalayas um, with my dad when i was uh, 17 or 18 and I went into this like little bookstore in Kathmandu and Kathmandu has got all you know all sorts of kind of mystical weird wacky yeah. nooks and crannies and stuff and there was a book and it was just called death and I was like oh that's awesome so <laughs> I, I got that and brought it home with me and because like it's it's this it's this um realm that we we like we it is our inevitable end and we know so little about it and we spend so little time establishing a proper relationship to it and one of the things that um, has that came on my not came on my radar, but I realized like one of the things there's many things to consider about your death, but one of them is like, well, what do you want your final message to your loved ones and even to the world, broadly speaking, to be? And I was like, one of the things I'd be most afraid of, like if I was in a plane crash or if I was drowning or whatever the end is, is that I I would regret not having not being able to say what I wanted to say to the people in my life. And so I have started um, drafting a, I guess what I'm calling a death letter, which is like, should anything happen uh, tragically and like instantly, and there's no time to kind of come to grips with it, 
I'd like this letter to basically to be my goodbye. And it has nothing to do with finances and that kind of stuff. It's just like, what's like, what's the most sincere message I can leave to the people in my life? And it's really interesting process of writing that because mm-hmm. it really makes you think like, first of all, what is the most like distilled down version of you? Like what is actually leaving when you leave? And two, like what is the most important, impactful, truthful thing that you can say to the people in your life? And what do you want to say? I mean, are you trying to be comforting? Are you trying to be loving? Are you trying to be, uh, you know, what, you know what, what's being stirred up? And I'm finding, I'm finding it to be an interesting process. But anyways, long-winded mm-hmm. uh, comment on my part. But how, did, how, did you, how does one get into being a death doula? Um, well, I mean, there's so many different ways I can answer that. I think now that I'm at the point in my life that I'm at, I look back and I'm like, oh, every decision I ever made, every thing I've ever done has brought me to this point. Right. Which is, you know, easy to connect the dots in hindsight. Yeah. Every, you know, a lot of people can apply that to their lives, I think, but, um, death in particular, I, I became a yoga teacher like 10 years ago. Um, along with like 95% of the population. (laughs) Um, so at that time, you know, I was introduced to a lot of the Eastern philosophy and the idea of impermanence and non-attachment and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, that, I mean, that experience changed me on a, on a, on a fundamental level. Um, and then my cat died uh, you know, back in like 2015 or 2016. And, uh, my cat was like, he was just my soulmate. And for a long time, I didn't want to say that out loud because I felt like a crazy cat lady, but I think it's, that's important to say, um, he, you know, he died a natural death in my arms. Uh, he wasn't euthanized. It was just, it was a thing that happened. And I was very panicked initially when I found him like semi-conscious, I was panicked. I was calling all these vet clinics, like, what do I do? What do I do? And then I just realized, look, he's dying and you are his person. And it doesn't matter what happens. You're going to deal with it. Like you are going to be here for him. So Mm -hmm. after that whole process, I thought, you know, there I was at the time, like 35, 36 years old. And I couldn't help but recognize how strange it was that I had gotten to that age. And that was the first time that I'd been witness to a natural death, right? I'd been to some euthanasias and stuff before of animals, not people, but, and and I just think it's so weird that we live that way. Like you were saying, like, we're just so out of touch with that truth that is, always like, you know, it's like one heartbeat away, one breath away. Death is always right here. It's like our Mm. closest companion. And yet we just don't, we don't talk about it. We don't deal with it. And, and when we do, like I said before, it's medicalized and privatized. So anyway, after I went through that experience, I was like, oh, okay. So that seed was kind of planted. And then as I continue to go through life, um, I mean, I've always been, someone looking for my purpose, like looking for the thing I was going to do for the world. And during the last couple of years, um, in particular, 
I mean, I think our collective fear of death has driven a lot of the um, policies, mandates, all the things that have happened. And I just, I was like, I gotta, I have to do this. You know, um, I was on yeah. Facebook scrolling and I saw this certification program to become an end of life doula. And I was like, that's the thing. <laughs> so, you know, it's interesting that yeah. you say um, that it's kind of always right next to us. And I remember when I first had that mm -hmm. insight, because you think about it as being quite distant chronologically, you're like, oh, that's 50 years off or 60 years off. And you know that that's not like for certain, but you kind of, that's how much space you think there is, but really like it, it's just right beyond that, right there. that layer yeah. or that <laughs> membrane, you know, and it's right there. And like, it, like, like you say, it's your constant companion and it, and it directs so much of what happens internally. And as a result of that in our life, like you said, over the last two years, like if, if you really don't have a healthy relationship with your own mortality, and if you really fear every, you know, death and all the different components of it, then that's going to dramatically impact your life and your anxiety and what you choose to do and what you choose not to do and the opinions and the perspective that you generate and the way you vote and the way you, like all, all that kind of stuff. And, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm, I've talked a fair bit lately um, and very, has always been very interested in, you know, the different um, cultures and their practices for basically coming to grips or establishing a, a better relationship with mortality. Now, that can involve uh, certain substances, it can involve certain practices, it can involve, you know, a, a ton of different things to basically yeah. just try to uh, get people to a place where they have a healthier perspective there. And now, usually those practices involve some element of uh, being able to differentiate between like the constructed identity self and the <laughs> yeah. quote unquote like, <laughs> eternal self. But yeah. I, you know, and like, of course, this is woo woo language. And I feel like I'm speaking to someone who's going to be receptive to that. But you yeah. know, it's like, it's like <laughs> I feel like my neck is going to be sore afterwards, because I'm just like <laughs> nodding, like, yeah, you got it. <laughs> right, right. But it, it's, it's so important, because once you do that, then I think that that releases the grip, and most often the subconscious grip that the fear of death has on things, because if you can experience a type of death, right, if you can experience an mm -hmm. ego death, then, mm -hmm. then I think you, you gain an appreciation. And this, this very much like shows up in the letter that I'm currently writing. It's like, well, what about you is going away? And what about you is staying? And this kind of goes back to how we open it, right? It's like, yeah, all the, you know, your name and your preferences and all that kind of stuff goes away. Right. But the things <laughs> The yeah. things that you were most trying to embody, the principles or values that you were basically trying to transmute from wherever their source is through you, those don't go away. You, you know, the vessel that was you that that is the means by which they're expressed into the world, that goes away. But they're no more diminished than before you were around, and they're, you know, and they'll be represented again afterwards. And what I think is important and kind of ties into the money piece is that to the extent that you use yourself as a means of transmuting those principles and values into the world when you're alive, as well as through your actions and through the principles carried in how your actions are represented in a market, i.e. money, then you, you enhance or expand the extent to which they exist in the interpersonal world. And that's good, mm -hmm. you know? And so for, for that reason, like, I think a lot of us are probably have a perspective that end of life even though it's sad, it, there should be a, a, a celebratory component of it as well, right? Because you're basically saying like, 
this person was around and the, this is what they represented at a fundamental level. And should we not celebrate the fact that that, that happened? And it's, it's, it, we, we're so far from that today. And I get, mm -hmm. I mean, when you say that you took this course, I mean, how much are you hamstrung just by regulations around death and dying? Because I presume that like, even if we talk about all these different things that we could think of that would help uh, both that relationship and that transition, would there not be a lot of like red tape getting in the way of, of doing novel things in that department? Well, the death doula industry, if you can call it that right now, is it's kind of the wild west at the moment, um, which I really like. Uh, there's not really a governing body, um, which, you know, depending on how you look at that is good or bad, right? For some people. It is what it is. I mean, we don't do anything medical uh, and we don't do anything legal. So our number one job is really just to, to support people and coach them and advocate for them. Like my, my mission really is just to help people clarify their values. Just like you were saying, like, what are your values? What, what has brought meaning into your life? And how do you want to go out and how do you want to be remembered? Right. So, um, there really isn't any legal right. type stuff at this point. Um, and depending on how the next five to 10 years go, uh, maybe it'll stay that way. Maybe it won't. I'm not sure, but why do you think, I mean, you, you speak with a lot of people, presumably at the end of the life, like what, where, what do you think the fear of mortality is all about like what what do you think's happening in that dynamic that it's so uh, yeah that's so important or influential in people yeah my, and you know my thoughts on this have have changed um the more time i spend in this space and the more of these kinds of conversations i have when i do get the chance to have them um and i i think yeah, it's, it's fear of the actual physical process of death. Like, is it going to hurt? Am I going to be in pain? Uh, maybe there's fear for what comes after, you know, if you subscribe to any specific religious dogma, you know, maybe there's some kind of like, oh God, am I going to go to hell or heaven? What I think it is for most people is fear of regret, mm. fear of regret. Like, am I going to be on my deathbed? full of regret for the things that I didn't do or the things that I didn't say, or, you know, the, the shame or the guilt or the anger that I held on to for so long, because, you know, the point is like, whatever you don't deal with over the course of your life, you are going to deal with it at the end. So it's a matter of, do you want to be proactive in that process or do you want to be reactive? Right. And I mean, death is challenging enough as it is for even the most, you know, enlightened person, if you want to put it that way. But, you know, if you arrive at the end with a lot of emotional baggage and, and regret, it's like, it's not only going to cause the person passing away more suffering, it's going to cause the people around them a lot of suffering as well. Right. So, yeah. So is your, the, the work you do, is it primarily with people already at the end of the life or is it like, could be with a random 30 year old who's just yep. starting yep. to prepare for that? Because it, it yep. sounds like there's a lot to be derived from 
starting early as it were in that process. Totally. Yeah. And that's, you know, and that's kind of a direction I can see this work going in. Like you were, I think you were kind of alluding to this earlier, but you know, accepting your death, just recognizing the truth that, that you are going to die, you know, and this letter that you're writing, you know, it, you're like, well, if I want to say these things at the end, I should probably say them now, right? Like it's death gives us that actual motivation that we need. Like I call it living a death informed life. Um, like if there's nothing else is going to motivate you more than death to Mm. do the things you want to do, say the things you want to say and to take risks, like take more chances. Like it really doesn't matter what you do while you're here because you're going to die anyways. So it's like, you might as well go and do something that just makes you feel like you're coming alive. Right. Yeah. Um, So, and, and, you know, and in, in actually doing the work to plan for your death, you can, I, I have a saying like what matters at the end is what matters now. So if you want a certain set of circumstances to surround your death, okay, well, how do we reverse engineer from that place and bring our lives into alignment so that we actually have that experience, right? Because planning without execution is just, well, you might as well have not have wasted any time planning. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I was in, um, I went down to the Amazon in 2008 for the first time. Like I was going to poke around and learn about ayahuasca and all that jazz. And, mm. um, prior I was in this town called Iquitos, which is like the main I've been there. Right. So, <laughs> and so also are, are for you, the same reason. <laughs> right, right. And are, did you go to the yellow rose? Is that what it's called? It's like a, like a Texan barbecue place, like right before the, I don't the, think so. Okay. Well, it's like a famous expat like place where everybody goes run by some crazy dude. But, um, and it's right. Like, I think it's the street that goes down to the riverbank, you know, where the, Mm -hmm. the Mm prominent, like kind of promenade thing is, I can't remember it too clearly. It was a long time ago now, but um, (laughs) what I do remember is as amazing as that whole thing was like going to the shaman's village and having ceremonies and learning all about that stuff. Like I still reflect back on the time And I wonder if, so I, what I'm coming to is that at that barbecue place prior to going into the jungle, I, on two separate occasions, two separate nights, just wound up sitting down and at the table next to me was an older guy. And we struck up a conversation and it turned out that one of them was end of his life dying with AIDS. The other one was end of his life dying with cancer. And they were both down um, in the jungle kind of for two reasons one to see if anything miraculous might happen and they could be saved but more so to to come to grips with their death and like kind of orient themselves properly for whatever comes afterwards and obviously you know ayahuasca and the the psychedelic uh, plants can be helpful in that domain and i felt that those conversations like we sat there and talked for like five hours you know just and they were so impactful for me because those guys had no like ego left in them. Right. I mean, they were Mm -hmm. about to die. They didn't care about what they said. They didn't care about what you thought about them. They had obviously done a lot of considering about their life and their mortality at that point, because they were so close to death. And they were some of the, like the best conversations I've, I've ever had in my life because they were so 
genuine and mm-hmm. insightful and wise and that kind of thing. And I'm wondering from your perspective, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what the, the mix for you is of like people that are at the end versus, versus, you know, way, presumably, you know, very far away from that, but what have, how have, what have those conversations been like for you? There, there must be some powerful impact there. Yeah. Well, and this is all fairly new for me as well, being in this space. Um, so my experience up to this point has been mostly people who are at the age of the caregiving. So like fifties, sixties, um, and doing their own work, doing their own planning so that they can, you know, obviously have their own plan, have a better understanding of themselves. And then also be able to step into that space of being a caregiver, Mm -hmm. um, and being with those people, even if they haven't done their own planning. Right. So, um, but yeah, I mean, the soul self and the ego self, like nothing's going to bring you to that point faster than a terminal illness will. Um, maybe psychedelics. Sure. There's, you know, conversations like, like we're having all of those things are, are informative. Um, but you know, it's kind of one of those things, like it's easy to be cerebral about it and be like, oh yeah, okay. That makes sense. But until it actually affects you and you're like, holy shit, the clock is really ticking. Mm. Um, you know, and, and some people like those gentlemen you met look outside of the medical, the Western medical community and explore in different ways. And, and other people react with a lot of anger. Um, and again, it's kind of like, I had this thought and it's like, what if the purpose of life is just to learn how to die, right? Like to prepare us to get to that place. So um, you're going to work through it at some point, however it happens to come. So I consider myself lucky that I'm going through it now and I'm, and I'm being that person for other people. Um, yeah, I think I had a well, little, the, little bit sidetracked there. The, um, <laughs> the, the Eleusinian mysteries, I mean, the, the, if, if you wanted to mm-hmm. sum up their purpose in one statement, you know, they would always describe it as a, like a, a ritual for allowing you to die before you die. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, and, and as a result of that, that institution was held up as, as the thing that held up the classical Greece greek culture and revivified it and was you know people that experienced it historians and leaders and philosophers and all that kind of stuff referred to it as being fundamental or instrumental to the flourishing of that culture and it preceded Mm -hmm. that culture and it had also survived since the the downfall of that culture in various pockets underground and overground and and all the rest of it and anyone who's had those kind of self-annihilating experiences i think can Mm. understand why that is um well, what, why do you think, and I, you know, I will tie this into Bitcoin at some point and, and money, but like, <laughs> why, why do you think it is that, uh, there's so much fear surrounding death? Because I mean, even today, you, you, like may to, to stereotype, uh, hugely, like you have the Silicon Valley billionaire who like wants to figure out how to live forever. Yeah. And then you have other people that are content with, you know, being alive while they're alive and passing the torch and, you know, going back to dust when the time is right. And I think there's a reason why whatever you 
ascribe or subscribe to in terms of, you know, notions of afterlife. I do think there's a reason why in so many different cultures and myths and religions and spiritual practices, there's this notion of judgment, you know, at death and mm -hmm. back to what you were saying, like perhaps the reason for life is, is kind of figuring out how to die well, or at least like that is the, the, I mean, that's when, uh, you like, that's when everything gets summed up, right? It's like, how did mm -hmm. you do at this thing leading to this final point? And, um, you know, I don't have any, any keen perspective on, on what happens afterwards, but I think it's a, a helpful, uh, idea or notion in order to help you orient yourself while you're living. Right. I think that's, you know, part of the thing. Now, when you invoke fear and institutional institutionalized, uh, bodies for, um, stewarding all this, then, then you get into problems of corruption and, and, you know, all the rest of it, but I think there's something to it. So why do you think people, mm -hmm. this is such a, a fear for people? Well, um, you know, along with many other things over the 20th century, um, a lot of, a lot of our societal norms, um, shifted and evolved. And, you know, in the, in the 20th century, there was a massive shift of where people lived, like people moved from rural communities to urban communities. Uh, we used to die at home. Uh, we used to die in our bed and we'd be surrounded by our neighbor community and you'd grieve and you'd take care of your own burial and, and that was it, right? So it was just normal. It was part of life. And then as we moved into cities, uh, we lost that community and became like the nuclear family. So the number of people we relied on shrank considerably, which seems counterintuitive given that you're surrounded by more people, but you're surrounded by less community. Um, and then in Canada, you know, we universal healthcare, um, you know, for all of the good it's done, it's like I said, it's medicalized death. So instead of dying at home, you die in the hospital. And I think there's just a massive, um, chunk of, like I was saying earlier, like the truth of life that is missing from a lot of people's experiences. Um, you know, for most kids, it's like a grandparent is the first death that you experience, but you don't actually experience it. You know, grandma's at home one day and then goes into the hospital. And then the next time you see her, she's lying in a casket made up to look like she's still alive, you know, which like that in and of itself is kind of insane. Right. Mm. So you just get this sense as a kid, at least I did. I don't know what your experience was like, but you get this sense that there's something else going on here right? Like there's some kind of truth. There's something happening that just doesn't feel right, but you're a kid. So you don't really know how to express it. Mm. So I think we all kind of carry that things that are shrouded in mystery are scary, right? It's kind of how our brains are, are, are built. Um, just like with Bitcoin, you know, if you don't know about it, you're, you're, you're scared of it. Cause it's like, what is this thing that we don't talk about that I don't understand? Mm -hmm. Um, so I think, you know, from a societal level, uh, it definitely doesn't do us any favors that we don't talk about it, that it happens in hospitals and it doesn't happen at home. Um, and then all the other stuff we've talked about, like fear of regret, what happens next? 
Um, have I lived a life true to myself? Uh, you know, I was, had a discussion in my community last week about the top five regrets of the dying. And it's like, you can extrapolate every single one of those also to, I'm like, oh, well, Bitcoin fixes that, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's crazy. It's like, it's just, and at the same time, it's all part of the process, right? Like we had to go through, we're just so disconnected from our true nature as, as nature, right? Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, we move to cities, we live in these buildings, we're not connected to nature. Like there's just so much that we've like this collective amnesia, right? So we all know it's there. It's the elephant in the room that nobody talks about. So, well, if no one's talking about it, then it must be really scary. If everyone's avoiding it, it must be something that I should avoid too. So we get into this collective headspace that death is bad. Um, and again, I think like nothing illuminated that more than the last two years. It's like, look at everything we sacrificed in order to keep death at bay. But it's like, people die all the time. <laughs> you know, like yeah. it was just such a bizarre experience and experiment to wake up. And every morning on the news, you see these numbers of people getting sick and these numbers of people dying. And that's all everyone can talk about. And it's like, thousands of people get sick and die every day anyways like mm -hmm. what are we doing you know and it's it's we're afraid of that truth for some reason so yeah. that's why these conversations are so important like that's step number one as far as I'm concerned is just to normalize it like yeah. it's okay it's okay to talk about it it doesn't mean that talking about death means that you want to die or that you're suicidal right. like there's a lot of stigma around it right yeah I used to work in restaurants and I would I I kind of I find these little opportunities to insert death in a funny way at least to me it's funny <laughs> and <laughs> you know people would what say can to I me, get you guys we're all gonna yeah. die someday you know that right yeah. this could be your last meal what would <laughs> yeah. you like um exactly though right and that's the truth yeah that is the truth but people would say, oh, you're so negative. You're always talking about death. And I'm like, it's not negative to talk about what's real, right? Like that's yeah. just honesty. That's just transparency. That's part of having a full human experience is to talk about what's actually going on. I couldn't agree more. And yeah. to, to that point, I mean, what, what we've been exploring is like developing a healthier relationship with mortality. If you're going to do that, you need to alleviate the collective anxiety that exactly. people have. And these are all different, different ways of doing that. And that's why, you know, this statement, like if it saves one life has been so uh, gross to me over the course of the last two years, because like, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, if we can Ugh. just hang on to one more life, it means we give up all the things that actually imbue mm -hmm. life with its very meaning and value. That's what you're, you're saying, just so like one more meat sack can stay around for however much longer. And we give away yeah. everything that imbues life with its meaning, or at least, you know, that's the, that's kind of the, the notion or the argument. It's so asinine. I and, know, you know, I, I think there's, there's a few things that are in response to that one, of course, like, you know, a government run medical system, I have many critiques, but one of them in, in this case is that it, it, it can't respond to 
the the needs or the demands of people at the end of their life like they're mm-hmm. imposing what they think the response or the treatment or the care should be right mm-hmm. because they're not dynamic and adaptable like a you know privately run business would be and the different incentives it have it said oh what well, our job is to keep people alive as long as possible now yeah. to be to be kind of fair to them which i don't like they're <laughs> they're they're deserving of a lot of criticism but to be kind of fair i think and this may be, you know, partially due to the relative diminution of the importance of religion and spirituality over the last hundred years in global culture, largely speaking, is that we've become one more materialist. And mm-hmm. so I think, you know, people have this sense of like, well, if the material is all there is, or if, if, if at least the, the balance have sh- the scales have shifted to, to having more people think that way or think, think more that way, then it's it kind of it's, it should be expected that people are going to want to hang on to their material self because they're not that connected with any other aspect of their self or any other aspect of nature or the world. Mm -hmm. And also I think that, uh, that induces a greater egotism in people. It's like, well, myself and my experience of the world is all there is. And this is greatly exacerbated, of course, by fiat and big governments and all the rest of it. But this this whole material notion, I think, is induces a greater egotism than there might be, because, of course, if if you have any sort of spiritual orientation, then part of that is being humble in the face of the grander energy force God that you are in relationship with. And if you don't have that, then I think that distills everything down to, oh, my God, I am it. And as a result you see people hanging on to every single last breath, you know, and when I've had relatives that have been sick, you know, you go into the hospitals and I I mean, lovely people and nurses are some of the most like hardworking uh, and humble people there are. And they have to deal with like stuff that I could never even dream of dealing with on a daily basis, but there's such horrible environments. Like you go in there and it's just like, ugh. And mm-hmm. you see people and it's like, they literally, I mean, they're not, their brain is not there. Their body's not there. They l- have lost all function, but their heart's still beating and their lungs are still pumping air. And so we, we maintain it and like, surely, and this is why I think your like work, like the work that you're involved in is so important because we have to come to a, a better process for, for ending life. Right. Because just waiting yeah. and not only cost is the least consideration, just the humanity of it, both for your, for yourself and for your loved ones, that the whole objective is just to draw one, one breath. So you can check out at 84 instead of 79. Why? Mm-hmm. The, yeah. the, the, the length of life is not the primary metric that we should be judging it by. Right. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's, it's so um, it's all so perverted, but yeah. you know, what are your thoughts of how, the monetary system, both on the (laughs) negative side and the positive side has influenced this kind of stuff. Oh my God. I don't, that's such a, and anything you want to respond to. (laughs) It's like my head's going to explode with, you know, how many things I want to say about that. Go for it. Well, you know, yeah going back to where we started from again, like everything we've sacrificed over the last couple of years, just to not lose people. And yet, you know, we've got more drug overdoses than ever, more suicides, more addiction. 
um, people dying alone in hospitals because of COVID policies. Like it's just like, it, it actually makes me feel nauseous. Um, but where I kind of wanted to go with that was, you know, newsflash, here's a truth for everybody watching the death rate is going to double in the next 10 years because baby boomers, right? Baby boomers are entering into elderhood and we are not ready for that to happen. Um, again, as we've seen over the last two years, everything we did lockdowns, everything was to keep the hospitals from becoming overwhelmed. Right. So Supposedly. it's supposedly exactly so it's obvious that if that's true the we don't have the infrastructure to handle double the amount of people dying from natural causes over the next decade let alone you know god only knows what else is going to happen over that time um and all the funeral homes in north america are owned by two corporate conglomerates so I don't know enough about all that to really thoroughly comment on it, but I know that we don't have enough funeral homes. We don't have enough crematoriums. We don't have enough cemeteries, but because those industries are also centralized, like just about everything else, there's no free market competition. Like I can't go and just be like, well, I'm going to make my own cemetery. You know, I don't, I can't even imagine what kind of red tape and paperwork would be involved in, in attempting to do that. So, um, and I'm Canadian, so I can't really comment as to the whole money medical situation in the States, but, uh, I, (laughs) I'm just so, I'm just such a Bitcoiner. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I might be getting toxic at this point and I don't even care. Like I, Anytime there's a problem, I'm like, it's the money. It's the money. Like, I think all of our, you know, I made this post on Twitter the other day, like humanity's got 99 problems, but Bitcoin isn't one of them. And, (laughs) you know, that's pretty much it. Like, I just think we, we, things are so dysfunctional, Mm. so dysfunctional. Our relationship with death is dysfunctional. Our relationship with ourselves is dysfunctional. Our relationship with, with spirit, our relationship with death, like the whole thing, it's just dysfunction everywhere you look. And that's like, that's why I, like, I really love Bitcoin so much. And, you know, I've only been in it for a year and, uh, everywhere I look, I'm like, oh, well, if we just apply the same principles of decentralization to that thing, that would fix that thing. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, I mean, on the one hand, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think all of us hardcore Bitcoiners just look at like, once you put the Bitcoin lens in over your mm. perception, like you're like, oh, wow, I can see how that institution or idea or relationship, or whatever is perverted by the incentive system and the value transfer layer upon which it operates, right? And then, then mm. you think, oh, like if we could replace that, things would be much better, which, you know, the encouraging aspect is it is there's a hell of a lot of room for improvement, right? And so mm. there's there's a lot of a lot of good that can be done. And I'm, you know, I'm enthusiastic about that. But you know, I 
I look forward to a time. What what movie was it at the end of like uh, Lord of the Rings? Was it they like the 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 uh, elves came for Frodo and they're like it's time to say goodbye, you know? Like, and and I think because I, I think they were all happy. Like they they I'm gonna butcher this, but like the mission was successful. Like they put the ring in the fire and everything was cool. And then they're all right. celebrating because they all survived. And I, I can't remember why, but like Frodo had to die or something, or he was just like <laughs> I, I I wasted up my nine lives and I just need to go and. So uh-huh. he said his goodbyes to the other hobbits. Some, some <laughs> Lord of the Rings fan is going to crucify me over this because I'm, yeah. I'm sure I have it wrong. But then the I think the elves take him away and like they go to the Deathland or whatever. And like, wouldn't it be more optimal? Wouldn't it be preferable if like when you realize like you were on the downslope, especially if it was like illness or whatever, you were terminal or whatever it was, and you could like consciously say your goodbyes to all the people in your life that were like important. And then you go off to like the death camp or whatever, and you do whatever, whatever the <laughs> fuck you want to do in the death camp with the other people. I, death camp's the wrong word. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, oh my God, I think you just came up with like a whole I, new million I just dollar it. idea. I, I just fuck, well, yeah, but I fucked it up by calling it a death camp. Death what camp. I mean is like a, a place to go and mm-hmm. transition, a transition. Totally a transition something and that's you know, what i want to do right like, that's and that's part like, of my vision is like these elder villages like right. where do we go where we can be in nature yeah right but you but like <clears throat> it's definitive when you wh- whatever that place is like and however <laughs> we want to refer to it and like let's say it's optimized for transition yeah before like when you before you go you say your goodbyes and it's definitive so you're like you say your goodbyes to all your friends and family even though you're going to be living for maybe six months or a year or whatever after that but like mm-hmm. just so that it's it's more controlled and it's more intentional and like hopefully we get to a, a point in the future where su- that there's fr- sufficient freedom <laughs> to do those things and we yeah. we shall see like it'll i think it'll emerge very quickly because it'll be evident, like which approaches are most beneficial. Uh, it'll be evident very quickly, like which which ones to go with, and like hopefully, these sort of solutions will be made more broadly available to people. Because totally, we've been yeah. we've been for various reasons. I don't want to hang it all on fiat, but certainly fiat is a massive contributor. We've been cut off with so much of these, like you said, cut off to ourselves, cut off to nature, cut off to. <clears throat> whatever force animates everything and whatever may lie afterwards. I mean, we've just, it, it's perverted our, our mind and our, and the culture and that's fostered a feedback loop of ever greater perversion and, and, and disassociation from reality really. And mm-hmm. I think Bitcoin is going to bring us back to that. Yeah. And uh, nothing could be more exciting than being more grounded in truth and then having the freedom to act upon what you find when when you're so grounded. Exactly. Yeah. I think, you know, it's, it's all about choice, right? Like we need to have choice as to how we want to live and how we want to die. And over the last hundred years that those choice, the, the amount of choice we've had has been slowly eroded as you know, now it's like, where are you going to die? Well, in a hospital, where are you going to give birth? Oh, in a hospital. It's like, we need, and, and so we've just been conditioned to abandon our own values, desires, wishes, all of those things, because we, we've, we exist inside of this system that is funneling us all down the same 
you know, on the same trajectory, just same with education and all of the things like we just haven't had these options. So, and, and choice is what empowers us when we recognize the fact that we have a choice and that we actually can choose something different for ourselves, for our kids, for, you know, generations to come. That's how we pull ourselves out of this mess that we're in. Like, I think so many people are just completely disempowered. We live in a state of constant fear and anxiety. If you want to talk about money, you know, most people live paycheck to paycheck. So it's like, how can you possibly take the time to self-actualize and identify with your soul and find some sense of spirituality if you are constantly panicked about how you're going to feed your kids? or how you're going to pay the rent. Right. So Mm. it's one thing, you know, and I need to, to recognize that that's where a lot of people are. That's not my reality. Thank God. But that's where a lot of people are. So it's like, come on, everyone self-actualize. It's like, (laughs) well, you know, I work 80 hours a week at two jobs because, you know, inflation and all the things. Yeah. Right. So that's for me, like, that's why Bitcoin has such a sense of urgency. Like I just, that has got to be fixed first and foremost, I think, so that we can return to the place from where we came as human beings, which is, you know, nature, community, the self, the sovereign self. And I think that's been a major point of contention too, over the last couple of years, like everyone's saying, Oh, do this thing and do it for your neighbors. And it's like, okay, so you want me to completely abandon myself for the sake of everyone else. Well, if you have a community full of people who have all self-abandoned, you have a very weak community. Right. And again, it's, it's like, we need to be able to hold these, multiple truths, right? Like in order to be a a strong member of a community, a contributing member of a community, I need to be sovereign first and foremost. I need to be autonomous. I need to make my own choices, have control over my life, whatever that means. And so if we have a community of people that are all strong individuals, then we have stronger communities. Yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more with that. I think that's that's very well said. And again, it's just this the fiat system places so many people in a state of deprivation that mm-hmm. is exacerbated than what it otherwise could be. And as you say, like if you're worried about rent and if you're worried about like living paycheck to paycheck and all these problems, of course your attention is going to be drawn away from you know things that are probably more important in life, but are less urgent. Like you can get by with not addressing them, but in the long term, you you don't do yourself any service. But if you, if you simply are focused on surviving day to day and this fiat system puts you in that situation more again, than than it otherwise could be, Mm -hmm. then yeah, you're going to neglect all that stuff because it's just, you know, you don't have the, you don't have the bandwidth, you don't have the capacity. And what's really exciting is that, if, you know, if we move into a hyper Bitcoinized future and in, 
with each successive generation, there's a greater foundation of stability and security around one's, you know, optionality in the world, one's ability to move through it, one's finances, then it's really exciting to think of like, wow, like from a very early age, more and more people could have the, the capacity, could be available to explore a greater breadth of what it means to be a human being mm -hmm. in this reality that we all share. Not exactly. just like get on this career path and get yeah. this status and get this money. Yeah. That's all you need to think about. And if you don't like, eh, like you can actually yeah. broaden the aperture dramatically and be like, <clears throat> okay, deprivation. We, we've collectively in enhanced, you know, global capital and our relationship as individuals to it. And this gives us a better means at pushing back the chaos and the, threat the threats of the world. And we can now reflect more inward and determine who we want to be and how we want to engage with that world. And there's yeah. so much, I mean, the, the story of civilization and culture is that constant feedback process where we use the implements developed by culture, be they language or art or technology to further investigate ourselves and then reapply that back out into the world to expand and explore the possibilities of the world. And we've been placed in a situation where we, there's been like a, a governor put on that and the governor is the government who controls the money and they've siphoned all that away to their themselves and the people that you know are aligned with them or control the money with them and to, to the great detriment you know i often make the comment that i think we'll look back on this period whether it's 50 or 200 or whatever years in the future and like it will appear as a a dark age just as you know we look mm -hmm. back at certain middle ages in Europe and by virtue of the fact that like the Renaissance came afterward and then now we have the modern era, we look back in hindsight and, and via comparison, we say, oh, wow, what a dark age so, you know, where there was relatively less freedom or relatively less uh, lower standard of living or less art or less music or less technology. I think that's going to be the same, not only because of the objective, you know, uh, metrics of today. I mean, look at mental health and look at, you know, all the things that are afflicting people. But by virtue of how much better I think things are going to be once the money can't be corrupted, the comparison is going to be extreme. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's wild. Like, it's just, it's such a wild time to be alive. It's so cool. Like, it's so scary and uncertain, but it's like, oh my God, like that's when opportunity comes, right? Like that's when the opportunity for change is here. And like, I've never felt better. I've never been more hopeful. I've never been more optimistic. And yet like everything outside of me is just going to shit. <laughs> right. But it's like, yeah, cause you can't, things need to fall apart before you can rebuild them. Mm -hmm. So, um, I just, you know, I have so much to say about everything you just said. And you're saying the things that I want to say also just from your own perspective, which is really cool. Um, I think, yeah. So, I mean, at the top of Maslow's period pyramid is self-actualization. Right. And I, I really think that there's definitely something to be said for, you know, doing your own work, the work, going to therapy, going on retreats, doing all the things. Um, and, the, but there comes a point where it's like, maybe the problem's not me right? Like maybe it's this environment that I live in. It's like, if you take a healthy organism and you put it in a toxic environment, 
and then the healthy organism starts to die, you don't address the organ. Like it's the environment that's toxic. Right. And that's why I think like Bitcoin just has this, this potential to elevate us and be that tool of self-actualization because it actually has the ability and the potential to change our external environment, to remove so many of those toxic systems that we have. And like you were saying earlier, whether it happens in my lifetime or not, I don't know. Like, I really hope it does, but I'm also cognizant of the fact that it could take generations, right? Like maybe we don't see real significant change until after 2140, you know, and I'm kind of sad. I'm not going to be here when the last (laughs) Bitcoin is mined, but at the same time, it's like, oh my God, how awesome is it to be part of like the grassroots movement? Um, and just helping people recognize that. And and what I was going to say about the self-actualization piece is like, you know, not only are we governed and, and we're, we're indoctrinated into this system and, and we just go, Oh, okay. I guess that's the way that it is. You know, not only does that happen, but then we also, I think a lot of people, you know, everything is our fault. Like the government, it's actually their fault but they're really good at telling us that it's our fault. And that just perpetuates this cycle of disempowerment. Like I put something on my social media the other day and it's like, we always get this like, oh, I'm so bad with money. Oh, you know, I'm a bad saver. Oh, I'm not good. It's like, you want to know who's really not good with money? (laughs) Your government, right? And like, and we pay them. And, and it's like, oh, it's just crazy. So there's just such an opportunity with, with Bitcoin. And this is what I just, you know, this is my message to people. It's like, this is the thing that has the potential to really set you free. Like you mm-hmm. can stop being a dog chasing its tail, you know, like people that want to do great work in the world, like me with my death work. But again, the majority of people living paycheck to paycheck They can't do that work because they're, you know, enslaved to their fiat job and just trying to keep up and it's getting harder and harder and harder to keep up. So they never get the opportunity to self-actualize because of the system. So it's like, maybe it's not you, maybe you are ready, quote unquote, to go into the world and do that work for humanity, but your external environment is not set up in a way that's going to allow you to do that. Like that whole human flourishing aspect. Right. So this is the choice that we have. And like, how much does it blow your mind, John, that we actually have a choice? Like we Mm. actually have a thing like that's a fucking miracle. (laughs) And I'm just, like, it makes me want to like evangelize and just, <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Well, well it's- in prior, in prior periods, you know, like, cause let's be real, obviously, like whether it's been fiat money or, or some other form of centralization or control throughout the past, like there's always problems. And I think it, it begs, I, I totally agree that uh, it's, we have to recognize the degree to which the environment in which the organism is put in is very determinant in terms of has a lot of a big impact in determining 
the health and the vitality of the organism, right? But I think simultaneous to that recognition, we have to always say, regardless of the environment, it's still my responsibility oh. to optimize myself and my mm -hmm. means of getting through it. Because obviously in, in, in today's culture, so many people, whether they um, identify correctly or incorrectly, the problems of broadly speaking, the world or society, some people have the response to just check out and like burn it down and it's all fucked. And like, that's not helpful to you or the thing, right? But regardless, of, and it's always going to be imperfect, right? Even in 2140, there's going to be people like you and I at that time being like, Hey, I am, I'm, I appreciate like all this different stuff, but there's a bunch of stuff that need still needs work. And I'm going to apply myself to the one that I find most meaningful or whatever. So like we have to, I, I think it's always important to keep that in context, but to your For point, sure. I mean, at, at all points in, in, in prior history, like the, the only response was like pitchforks, really. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, shit's not good. It's so it's totally fucked. People are oppressed. All right, pitchfork time. And then a bunch of people die and nothing really changes or it changes, but only for a little while. And now we like, and maybe we're wrong, right? But we're daring greatly to assume and believe that this thing is a novel means of affecting dramatic change in governance and in money and in value expression and in social uh, organization. And if we're right, then I think what lies on that road is a far better means of transformation as a, as a culture and as we're finding out as individuals, but taken collectively as a culture than any means of upgrading things that we've used in the past. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I mean, again, what I think is so cool about Bitcoin is like, we are literally in evolution alongside of it, right? Like we are watching it grow and become what it's going to become. And I don't know if it's the answer. I don't know. I don't know if there is going to be something that takes it down or, you know, who knows? It's all unknown. We can't mm. look back at, at, the previous Bitcoin we had and, and extrapolate the results, right? Like we're learning about this in real time, but, you know, so people that come to me that don't know about it, if, you know, they have the FUD, oh, well, how do you know X, Y, Z? And I'm like, listen, I don't, but again, here we are at this inflection point, this climax of, of history. If we're not there, we're pretty fucking close. I Hopefully. think. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's like, what side am I going to choose? Like it is all, you know, it can be very complicated and layered and, you know, there's a lot of nuance and all of the things, but do I choose fiat or do I choose Bitcoin? Yeah. Do I choose corruption and coercion and, you know, poverty and war and all of the shit that we've suffered through over the last hundred years? Do I keep my eggs in that basket because I'm too afraid of choosing something different. And uh, like, I will die on this hill. Like even if Bitcoin fails, it's like, I'm having one hell of a great time right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I couldn't imagine, I honestly couldn't imagine my life without Bitcoin in it. And, and the Bitcoin community, it's like, if it weren't for that over these last couple of years, my mental health would be in the garbage. Yeah. Like a hundred percent. And, and to people that don't understand Bitcoin, like that sounds like such a, like, what are you talking? like 
computer money is giving you hope and optimism. And it's like, well, yeah, it is those things, but it's, it's a whole, allow mind. me to explain. Yeah, exactly. Right. So yeah, but I, think, I think that's such a good point because, you know, it forces people to do something that I think, again, largely in our culture today, people have abdicated the responsibility for doing, which is getting clarity around your values and principles, because yeah. those are the things that are going to orient your perspective and your behavior. And so much of that, so many people have outsourced to uh, social convention or even government mm -hmm. dictate. It's right and it's good because others say so effectively. And this is why I think, you know, once you go down a Bitcoin rabbit hole, you, you, you end up having to uh, question and put pressure on your assumptions and your priors and your axioms and all those things. So you can boil everything down to kind of a first principles approach to the, even the, the very generation of your perspective. There's nothing more important than that. That'll dictate your entire life. It'll dictate all your behavior, all that kind of stuff. So what is your, what is your perspective predicated on? And, and like, what are the highest values and principles that, that, that you orient yourself around? And to, to, the, to your question there, like, well, you're going to choose fiat or you're going to choose Bitcoin. Like, it's very clear that the principles and values represented in Bitcoin are those of truthfulness and honesty and fairness and freedom and perhaps others, right? But we can even just look at those and be like, yeah, those are fucking awesome ones. Those are really, really good, right? Those, like, those are the best. Yeah. Or you go into this one and be like, unfairness untruthfulness, dishonesty, mm -hmm. you know, corruption, Disease. lying, deprivation, yeah. all this kind of stuff. Like, so like once you boil it down to, to what they represent in terms of values and principles, it's like, Hey, Anon, are no you reader. really going to choose the latter? Yeah. Like the former is obviously the choice. And mm -hmm. I think it's for its large part, just shaking people out of, out of the apathy of, of determining okay. what their perspective is constructed by because they've allowed it to be so outsourced to other people. And, and this is why, of course, we refer to sometimes, you know, uh, the, that group or cohort as the mass, because they're, they're not taking the time to make sure that the perspective that they're using to orient their behavior in their life is constructed by themselves, consciously yeah. constructed by themselves rather than outsource to whomever for whatever reason. And like, like we said before, I mean, you can, you can be sympathetic to some degree because people are, are, some people are in such a state of deprivation. It's like, man, I don't got fucking time. Like I just gotta pay the bills and all that kind of shit. But which is why I often ask people like, well, sure, fair enough. But if that's the case, I mean, what makes you think your perspective is valid? You know, cause people, mm -hmm. almost everyone has strongly held opinions about whatever the thing is. And it's like, like, I'm, I, I can appreciate not having the time to really dig into what principles and values orient you. I think, I think it's a bit of a cop-out because I, I, I don't think there's any more important task that an individual can do, but let's just for the sake of extreme sympathy say, okay, cool. But you can't then turn around and have like a, a presume to impose your perspective on me or anyone else because it's so uh, unconsciously or unthoughtfully constructed. And uh, so shaking people out of the apathy of that or, or reintroducing the importance of determining one's own perspective so that you can recognize things that cohere or align with it when you see them, i.e. if my perspective is generated by a commitment or an, or an allegiance to truth and freedom 
and fairness and these sorts of things. When I see that out in the world, like in Bitcoin, I'm going to be like, yep, that's for me. Like I'm, yeah. I'm going to side with that thing and not the thing that's basically its antithesis. Exactly. Exactly. It's like to not, to have the values that I have and to not align myself with Bitcoin, to not choose that would just be insane. Right. <laughs> and, and I think what's important for people to realize as well is that not making a choice is making a choice. Yeah. Right. So like not choosing Bitcoin is choosing fiat and regardless of what your, your like political affiliation, like, like, I don't even care about that shit anymore. It's like, what do you want? I, I believe that all humans want the same thing. Everybody wants to be healthy. Everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants love and connection and everybody wants that for their kids. Right. And if it's not blatantly obvious by this point that this system does not provide those things or encourage them or allow for expansion. It's just, it's so obvious that this system is broken. So mm -hmm. if you actually want the things that you claim that you want, like the words that are coming out of your mouth, if that's what you actually want, then it's time to take action and actually make a choice so that that happens. Like it's clear to me that the government is not coming to save us. It doesn't matter red, blue in Canada, we've got green, purple, like we've got all kinds of colors. It doesn't matter what is coming out of their mouth. Like they are not here to save us. We are here to save ourselves stop doing the same shit over and over. Like that's the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Like here we are again, you know, going through another election cycle. And it's like, ugh. like if you this really want to, if you really want to shut those people up and put them back into the position that they were actually originally supposed to be doing in the first place, then choose this thing right? Take back control of your money. Take back the one thing that the government cares the most about, because it's obvious they don't really give a shit about us. <laughs> mm -hmm. And put your money where your mouth is. That's just it. Like, that's a little bit of tough love, but like, that's the truth, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not really here to sugarcoat it for people because that's all we've done for the last however many years is sugarcoat the truth of everything and use euphemisms. We can't even say the word died. We say, oh, passed away or no longer with us. It's like, let's just get honest and, <laughs> and do something about the situation that we find ourselves in. And yeah. again, like, can you believe that we actually have Bitcoin, <laughs> like, we actually have a thing that's going to allow us to, to do something different and create something different. And everything that's coming along, like the whole ecosystem of Bitcoin and, and all of the offshoots that are happening, that's the coolest thing ever. You know, like I've always been like a power to the people kind of a person. And it's like, oh my God, this is happening in real time. And it's just, it's so exciting.
Yeah, I, I couldn't agree yeah. more. And so tell me, I probably should have asked you this right at the beginning, but <laughs> what what was your entry point to Bitcoin? Because yeah, let's and I'm not I, I'm not make, I don't want to make too many assumptions about you, but I, I've by virtue of my interest in psychedelics, psychedelics, I've interacted with a lot of the well, psychedelic culture sort of people, right? We, I think we, yeah. we both probably fall into that category a little bit and we know what I'm talking about. Just people that are very anti-establishment and very kind of leave me alone to be in nature and that kind of jazz, but also like it's not uncommon for them to be resistant to technology and even more so resistant to the, even the notion of money. Yeah. And I think that that betrays a, a, a fairly significant misunderstanding of what money is and its role and the, the different forms of money that are available. But uh, that being said, I mean, what was your initial introduction to Bitcoin and when did the penny drop and you realize that well, what you just articulated, that it is what it is or that it could be something like this? Yeah. And again, like before I remind me to tell you about that, but um, you know, going like, we just have such a dysfunctional relationship with money and, and money is the root of all evil. And we've so much of society has labeled money as evil, but it's not money itself. Money is just a tool and it's mm. all the ways that it's been used that we look at as evil. Right. But I, I feel like the entry point there for a lot of people is difficult because we have so many preconceived notions and emotions about what money is and what it means. Like I yeah. always lived in a state of of anxiety about money. I put off living my life because I didn't have enough money. You know, how many people do that? And again, I'll circle back, remind me, but people approaching end of life retirement, like, oh, I'll do that thing when I retire. And I always, and, you know, I used to say to people in my yoga classes, I'm like, what happens if you die before you retire? Yeah. You know, like real question. And now if you live to retirement, well, now you've got way less money because <laughs> of inflation, right? So yeah. it's like, anyways. You know, just, uh, just a funny anecdote on that. I was in Costa Rica a while back and there was this very nice girl selling like different uh, magic mushroom infused stuff, chocolates and honey and this jazz. And I asked her if she accepted Bitcoin. And she was like, oh no, like I don't really care much about money. I was like, well, you, you know, you accept money. What do you do? Like, what kind of money do you accept? And she was like, oh, I accept the local currency and I just put it like, under my mattress or whatever. She was like, I just kind of see money as like stored energy. So I don't really like, I don't think it, I don't think much about it. I'm like, that's exactly, yeah. yeah. Like, so they're, if you hold your money in that paper stuff, they're able to siphon away your life force when you just put it under your bed like that. And they can't mm -hmm. do that with Bitcoin. That's the whole, that's the whole thing. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I did my best to kind of uh, frame it differently for, but she was still like very, eh, don't yeah. talk to me about technology or money. Yeah, but I yeah, think it, it's yeah. like once that switch flips and once people like yourself are able to both frame it, articulate it in different ways and also just live it, live, you know, be a representation of what a different uh, perspective on money and this form of money is, then I think it will start to permeate, you know, uh, those types of people more. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I always, you know, when I meet resistance or when I met with resistance from other people, in terms of Bitcoin, it's like, you know, I can't help but ask like, or maybe I already know, like, what's your relationship like with money? You know, how much debt are you in? 
my, my best friend is very resistant to having conversations with me about Bitcoin because she has a terrible relationship with money. So of course she's gonna. So I think, you know, there's something to be said there in terms of, you know, we talked about like taking care of our internal environment versus our external. Like there is a lot of, um, work, like emotional work that, that people need to do around their relationship with money. Totally. But, totally. um, so me and Bitcoin. So I, I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast, like way back 2015, 2016, I think he had Andreas Antonopoulos on there mm-hmm. and I didn't know shit about Bitcoin at the time, but listening to that show, I was like, oh, that sounds you know, that sounds like a cool concept. So I asked my mom about it because she, my mom's a numbers person and does investing in stocks and all this stuff. So I said, have you heard about Bitcoin? Like, it sounds like kind of this cool thing. And and she said, oh, don't, you know, don't pay any attention, you know, don't put your money into that. It's blah, blah, blah. So I'm okay. So I didn't. So I do like to remind her of that from that time. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it was, and then, you know, six years went by and it was last summer that, you know, all the, we were on like lockdown cycle number two or whatever, wherever we were. And, um, I went on a date with this guy and we were just having conversation and he said, do you have Bitcoin? (laughs) And, and I said, no, but, oh my gosh, tell me out. Like, he just knew from talking to me. And and that's how I know, like I can spot Bitcoiners everywhere. Like Bitcoiners are everywhere. They just don't know they're Bitcoiners yet. Because if you value freedom, if you value autonomy, if you are, uh, you know, my body, my choice kind of person, whatever, your value system is aligned with Bitcoin. And it's, mm. you know, we haven't had that opportunity to align our value system with money before. So yeah, well said. He told, he told me about it and I was like, yeah, I'm in, you know, he mentored me a little bit through signing me up and, and then I just went down the rabbit hole hard. <laughs> wow. And, so it's uh, only been, been a less than a year. Is that what not I'm even hearing? a year. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And I actually read one of the first things I read was Tomer's, um, why Bitcoin, like when he had it before the book, he had the 21 articles or 24 articles, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I read that. And, and I was like, holy shit. Like this is so much more than just money. Like oh, he's going to be so happy to hear that. Oh, he's, you know, I watched your um, interview with him a couple of weeks ago. And I think it was actually the day that you put on your Twitter. Like, do any plebs want to talk to me? But I watched that in the morning, you and Tomer just going back and forth. And I was like, oh, it'd be so cool to, you know, talk to one of these guys someday. <laughs> and, and then it's like, here we are. So yeah, um, I'm definitely in like, I, I tell people like Bitcoin's a philosophy to me, like Bitcoin mm. is a mindset. It is a way of being. And the fact that it is a store of value and functions as money is like, what a cool bonus, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, well, it's, it, yeah. It, it's almost, it, it makes perfect sense, right? Because it's able to be an extension of yourself. Like we, mm-hmm. we said right at the beginning that like money is the thing that most extends your will yeah. out into the world. 
right? Because it carries the implicit values and principles that are nestled within the actions that you take and the actions that you, you know, compel or, or uh, incentivize others to take in a market by offering money in exchange for it. And so it kind of makes perfect sense that that would, that would be the thing and that it would, yeah. the, the more that it could reflect both the qualities of your own limited self and as a result of being an impervious to degradation, uh, express those values and principles with pristine fidelity out into the world, the better. And it's seeming like Bitcoin has perfected at least those attributes. And I think we should expect there to be a lot of good to come from those novel qualities being available to us as human beings now. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and, you know, so like bring the death and Bitcoin thing back together. <clears throat> we, we literally trade our lives for money. You know, if you work 40 hours a week, that's 40 hours of your life that you are, you know, committing to earning money in order to do all the things you want to do and provide and X, Y, Z. So like we trade our lives for money. So even though it's not explicitly um, expressed to us, like we have these leaders that, that implicitly give us the message that your life is worth less. Yep. you know, chop worthless in half worth less over time. So like that is just gross and sick. And that is like, we don't deserve that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it would be great to live a life of purpose and, and make money by doing something that's contributing to humanity. But at the very least, we all deserve to have our time, our lives, valued mm -hmm. right yeah, yeah. and and like and unencumbered and impervious to the type yeah. of theft that's currently happening and yeah you, that, that's a great way to frame it like you you give away 40 hours a week your life force is devoted to some other cause 40 hours a week and as we've been exploring in this conversation i mean that can get to such a extreme and it has for so many people that like it, it's pretty much all consuming mm -hmm. and so you have to give away your that that aspect or that amount of your life force for whatever, let's just say thousand dollars for easy numbers. And then someone else somewhere else can press a button and get the same, you know? Yeah. So in, in that way, they're literally just siphoning away your life force. Or as you said, I mean, it's so insignificant and inconsequential and so worthless to them that they can just press a button and take it from you like that. And anytime yeah. you have such a disparity, such a differential in the access or the uh, the ways of mediating or managing that life force, you're, you're going to establish a relationship of slavery, right? If you and mm -hmm. I have to give away our time for the same amount of uh, financial reward as someone else who can press a keystroke on a computer, well, they can way more easily do that and way more efficiently do that than we can deploy our, our time and work and energy and life force. And so what's you just very in a very short period of time, you're going to have a relationship where one controls the other. Mm -hmm. And what do you know? I mean, that's what we have in the world today in, in large degree. Yeah. And, and we pay them. <laughs> For the service. <laughs> like, that's just, 
and and, and pray and praise them and glorify them and all this crazy <laughs> oh shit. Oh my god. Yeah, it's like, you know, we just had tax season and there's 6 million Canadians that aren't allowed to get on a plane because they're not vaccinated and it's like how do you guys feel about giving your money to your government when you're a fucking prisoner in your own country? Like it's just ludicrous. It's, it's lunacy. It's, it's, it's just lunacy. It's just ludicrous. Um, yeah. Being that this is so new to you, I mean, one of the things that I find most fascinating about all this is, is pretty much what we've been discussing, but it's it's how uh, Bitcoin tends to change how people see the world and how they see themselves and how they see the future and all these things. And by virtue of that change perception, you change because your perception dictates so much of your behavior, perhaps all of it. So, I mean, how have you noticed, like, how have you changed since last year when the penny, <laughs> penny drop with Bitcoin for you? I, I, I really feel like it was just the last piece of the puzzle for me. Um, and what I mean by that is like, <clears throat> there was a lot of, there was a lot of choices that I made leading up to Bitcoin coming into my life. Um, there was a lot of choices I made again, like that whole taking action on your values. Like, am I going to play this game or am I not going to play this game? Like push kind of came to shove for me. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. Like freedom sovereignty has always been one of my highest values, but I didn't really understand why or what that meant exactly until I needed to make these choices, like do this thing, or this is going to happen to you right? Like abandon your beliefs or this is what's going to happen. I'm like, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> I have always considered myself a strong person, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. So it's like the, the rubber hit the road basically. And the, the amount of belief that I have in myself, I guess, like my own sense of self-worth and my own capabilities and ability to do what you said, like really examine my perspectives and be like, well, am I just, is this just lip service or is this actually who I am? Right. And, and I will choose the hard thing in the short term in order to be at peace with myself over the rest of my life and at my death. Right. So mm -hmm. I just feel really empowered and just really at home with who I am and like really, oh, not just okay with who I am, but like proud of who I am. <laughs> um, you know, like all of the things. And again, I can look back now and be like, oh yeah, I've always been on this path, but I was on the path kind of in the dark, right? Like I was feeling my way through and still looking for external forms of validation and, you know, what lies ahead and what is my work? What is my contribution? And it's like, I'm still on that path, but now the path is clear mm. and nothing is going to stop me. Like I can't not do the work that I'm doing because it's no longer a conscious choice. Like it is, my being like it's how I show up in the world 
right? And maybe more things will come in as I continue to age and evolve and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, there's just, I don't know, so much clarity and groundedness and all the things. That's really well said. And yeah. I, I can appreciate a lot of that. You know, I think it's also the case that not only like we've already discussed, like when this thing that so aligns with those principles that you've been refining your appreciation for over the years is now extensible and shareable out into the world. I mean, that certainly allows you to think that it could be a, a kind of a force multiplier for change whereby your just little old self without such a tool could not be. But I also think so many of us are being emboldened by the fact that, okay, we internally we've reflected or experienced or refined our appreciation of certain principles, like we've been discussing truth and freedom and fairness and these sorts of things and doing our best perhaps to orient ourselves around them in a world that mightn't necessarily be optimized for appreciating those things. But now we see this thing that is a distillation of those very same principles and it's so rapidly accruing value in the distributed marketplace and that people are sacrificing their, you know, the proceeds of their work, i.e. their money to that thing, to avail access to that thing. And so I think that validates the, the value of those principles to a certain degree to say like, no, no, you, like you were right to uh, perhaps stubbornly adhere to those principles and not corrupt yourself and to continue to try to understand them and refine them. And now there's an external reflection of them and look how much others like you are valuing it and look at, look at what it's potentially capable of doing. And I think that just basically the internal message is, yeah, you were like more, right. You, you were, that was the correct, you were on the right path there now, just like, you know, kick up the speed or, you know, get on a different vehicle or whatever the metaphor is, but like, the, these values and principles that perhaps many of us felt were being suppressed or, or underappreciated in the world, maybe they're making a resurgence now and they're doing it through this mechanism and through all of our interaction mm -hmm. with this mechanism. And like, yeah. what's better than that, that we're going to exist in an environment where what we deem to be the highest values and principles are going to be upregulated as a result of how much people value them and appreciate them and can express mm -hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's just such a beautiful convergence of technology and humanity, right? It's like, I think there's a misconception out there that Bitcoiners, you know, oh, Bitcoiners want to live in the metaverse, right? Like Bitcoiners <laughs> are like, they're all into this online Couldn't world. Couldn't be further or, from the truth. Right? Or they're all into money. I'm like, no, like Bitcoiners want a homestead and like homeschool their kids and have babies and, you know. Um, so uh, it's just such this cool, like, you know, being in the yoga space for 10 years, it's like all the yogis, you know, we dream of this utopia where we don't need money and everything's just love and barter. And it's like, yeah, okay. That's a nice idea. But the reality is we've always had a medium of, of exchange. We've always needed money to get the things that we can't get, whatever. So let's just have a better money. Let's just have a money that actually supports human flourishing. And it's like, you know, there's always that, like, is technology going to be used for good or for evil? And I just think Bitcoin is the, the technology that's going to be used for good, mm -hmm. whether you're in it 
for the philosophy, the mindset, or if you're in it as an investment or, you know, a, for your kids, your legacy, for your, like, whatever it is, we're all on this like freeway and we're all driving in the same direction towards Bitcoin. And it's like, the beautiful thing about it is the diversity of the community, right? Like all these different minds coming together and, you know, my brain kind of glazes over when, when I listen to the real technical, you know, dev stuff and the stocks and all, I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's like, it's just such a beautiful representation of what is possible for humanity going into the future. And that's what I love about, you know, Elon Musk, like he's, you know, we, we should be excited about the future. Right. And Mm -hmm. so many people every day, like there's so much fear. There's so much uncertainty. There's so much like, oh my God, war. Oh my God, climate change. Like enough, enough of that. Like I've just had enough of it. And, and we can, we can get excited about something better coming. Yeah. And that's so, so, that's so important because if you feel like it's doom and gloom, yeah, that does, that doesn't call forth much from you. Right. But if you think, holy shit, it's going to be awesome. Like I want to make sure I'm as capable as possible to avail of that awesomeness and contribute to it and enjoy it and all that kind of stuff. Well, then that changes your perspective in the here and now, right? It, it, it brings a vibrance to your life because you're, you're sensitized for trying to move towards something that's, that you're excited about versus Mm -hmm. trying to almost withdraw from something because you're you're so scared by it and that's and that affects your here and now as well because you end up withdrawing Mm -hmm. and you end up feeling like you like there's no reason to uh investigate or or mine yourself for what's best about it and try to bring that out and transmute it into the world in some way and so I, i i think that's a a very good point and i think bitcoin is very much having that effect on people to say the least my mm-hmm. last, last one for you, you mentioned like your, yeah. your yogi friends and stuff. How's the orange pilling been going in that? Uh, <laughs> it's going, it's going. Um, <laughs> I do like, I've hosted some webinars for people and I've, I've got some people orange pilled. It just, it takes a while, you know, it right. takes a while. I'm still working on my mom. Um, I got her a hardware wallet for mother's day, even though she doesn't have Bitcoin. So it's like, when she gets Bitcoin, it's going to be in cold storage, (laughs) but, um, it's just, you know, people have to be ready. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, if someone comes to you and, and they're looking for advice, you know, how many times do they actually go out and follow your advice? They, Mm -hmm. they might be ready to hear it, but they're not actually ready to do it. So there's like this familiar hell versus an unfamiliar heaven, right? It takes courage to, to do something that you're not certain about, you know? So I think it just takes people time to arrive at that place. So I'm just trying to live my life and, and show people how stoked I am. And they're like, why are you so happy all the time. <laughs> like, Wherefore art thou so stoked? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, they're getting there. My one friend just sold his house and I was like, okay, well. <laughs> Put it all into Bitcoin immediately. You know what's- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And, and you're doing a podcast, right? Yeah. Is it called Death and Bitcoin? 
called death and Bitcoin. Yeah. It's on Spotify. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And I just, I started doing that because like I said, I, you know, so often I'm just having these conversations with myself. <laughs> so I, like I might as well stick a microphone in front of my face. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's how this one got started several years yeah. ago now, but it was just like, I'm going to go crazy unless I have a partner to have these conversations with, you know? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I've loved podcasting for so long. It's always been one of my goals to have one and be on one. So Incredible. yeah. So well, that shit's starting to happen. Thanks to death and Bitcoin. It's like- <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, look, th- yeah. this has been awesome. And I appreciate you taking the time and, and sharing your, your journey and your experiences and your thoughts with me. Um, it's, I love this, yeah. you know, getting to connect yeah. with Bitcoiners <laughs> out there in the wild and hearing the story and, you know, just, there's so many good people out there and, mm-hmm. um, using this as a mechanism or a means for connecting with them has been definitely one of the biggest highlights of it. So I appreciate yeah. you taking the time yeah. and any last words, go for it. Well, um, I'm probably going to have to have a nap after this. I'm like, <laughs> it's been amazing. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Just life can't get much better. Um, I, I do want to say I'm leaving Canada. Uh, I sold my house. I bought a camper van. I'm coming to the States. I want to travel and meet Bitcoiners and, and I'm just really curious about, you know, orange pilling people that don't know they're Bitcoiners yet and having those conversations. So, um, yeah, maybe awesome. I'll see you on the road at some point. <laughs> Coming to a town near you. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, yeah. Cool. Well, look, I hope I, I did the camper van thing in Europe uh, a few years back and it's incredible, you know, the freedom and the people you meet and all that kind of stuff. And especially if you kind of focus it around Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin and shouting out like on Twitter, if you're rolling through a town and maybe someone responds like, yo, come here, go grab dinner and drinks and whatever. It's, it's an awesome way to meet people. So I hope that goes well. And um, yeah, this is, this is my second time around doing van life actually. Um, But the first time I didn't have a mission, like I wasn't, There was no goal. So now it's like, I'm on a mission. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll have to check in, in in six to 12 months and see how the mission went and get an update then. For sure. Yeah. Awesome. All right, Aaron, thanks again and take care. <laughs> thanks, John. Be well. See ya. Yeah. Bye.